the rich people always flying off somewhere. Oh. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. It's the Vegan Vanguard. Maxi and Maureen. Still don't have a new intro. Still stumbling over the intro. So what up? What up? What up? What's new? But I realized last time we didn't say for new listeners what our podcast was about. So that's true. Our podcast is about all things <laughs> from the. <laughs> All right, for those of you who don't know, that was our last intro. Um, but yeah. we talk about veganism and anti-capitalism and feminism from a pro-intersectional, leftist, anti-speciesist, anti-racist, <laughs> anti-all the good stuff. I mean, all the bad stuff. Anti-all the bad stuff. Perspective. Yeah. Great summary. Thanks. It's basically just one big leftist vegan... I don't know. Utopia? Cornucopia. <laughs> Cornucopia. <laughs> yeah. So today we are going to talk about antinatalism and antinatalism both in the vegan community and outside of it. Basically, we're going to try to tackle and dispel or critically analyze all different sides of the anti-natalist arguments that we frequently come across. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're going to look at it in the vegan movement, as you said, and then also in the anti-capitalist movement and just kind of break down all these arguments for and against anti-natalism. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to start just by talking about what anti-natalism is, because I think there's a difference between anti-natalism as a movement and just somebody not wanting kids. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we just want to start by saying we're not saying that people have to have kids or that it's wrong to not want kids. Like, this is totally not what we're saying at all. Um, I actually never wanted kids for most of my life. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, you know, just to say that I fully understand anyone's personal reasons for for not wanting kids. Um, but I think antinatalism is a little bit different. It's seems to be kind of based on this philosophy that life itself is suffering. I was reading an article talking about David Benatar, a philosopher in the Department of Philosophy at the University of Cape Town. Shout out Cape Town. I love Cape Town. But anyway, <laughs> um, he wrote a book called Better Never to Have Been, The Harm of Coming into Existence. And he writes, while good people go to great lengths to spare their children from suffering, few of them seem to notice that the one and only guaranteed way to prevent all the suffering of their children is not to bring those children into existence in the first place. And uh, he goes on to say that life is an escalating list of woes. We're almost always hungry or thirsty. When we're not, we must go to the bathroom. We often experience thermal discomfort. We're too hot or too cold. Yes. That is the biggest source of discomfort in my life. I'm always too cold. Definitely. Or we are tired and unable to nap. Like, yeah, preach. Like, come on. We suffer from itches, allergies, and colds, menstrual pains, yes, or hot flashes. Never mind, end um, of podcast, we are anti-aging. Yeah, I know, exactly. Right. Now that this dude makes all these great arguments. Oh my god, he brought up menstrual pains, yes. Um, 
Yeah, no, he's like, life is a procession of frustrations and irritations, waiting in traffic, standing in line, filling out forms, forced to work. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. We often find our jobs exhausting. Even those who may enjoy their work may have professional aspirations that remain unfulfilled. Many lonely people remain single, while those who marry fight and divorce. People want to look, be, and feel younger, and yet they age relentlessly. I mean... Where's the lie? Right. But talk about like <laughs> really not targeting the root of the issue here. You know, like we're forced to work yeah. and yeah. plus yeah. we're forced yeah. to endure global warming and aging. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, or we could live without all those things if we lived with a different system. Absolutely. I mean, it's completely bourgeois too. It's like your biggest worries during the day are maybe being too hot or too cold and perhaps having to stand in line and, and fill out some forms. Right. This is like, this is the bane of your existence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you, you would rather have not been born than be forced to stand in lines or go into traffic. Like, are you kidding me? But sorry, not to like make light of the anti-natalist movement. Right. People are like, hey, hey. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, full disclosure, neither of us are part of this movement. So we're just trying to learn about it. But anyway, anti-natalism seems to be like coming from a place of more substantial, like wanting to create kind of a movement, wanting to, you know, ground this in this philosophical idea of whether or not humans should be living. And then I know for some people that kind of branches out into like environmentalism and stuff like that, where it's like, should humans be living <clears throat> because we are quote unquote cancer on the earth and we're just spreading and destroying everything. So um, I think people who look at it from that frame are moving beyond this idea just of personal suffering or like personal irritation of like, well, you know, life is just irritating. So I like it's immoral to bring a human into the world. Mm -hmm. um, when, you, when you start to get into like the environmental kind of reasons, then it becomes a bit more broad. It's like, well, it's immoral because it's going to contribute to the degradation of the earth and the degradation of um, living conditions for other people, I guess. But and that's how I've heard it being spoken about in the vegan movement. And that's very much how the argument is made. You know, it's not only that humans are hurting other animals and hurting the earth, so they just should not be born. And it's immoral to bring other humans into the world for that reason. But also, I mean, vegans definitely take it one step further, or some anti-natalist vegans um say that well definitely for people who are not vegan it's unethical to bring another human into the world that won't be vegan mm -hmm. but also even when you're a vegan parent you have no you have no guarantee that your child will remain vegan so why bring them into the world at all like as if being vegan in this industrialized food system and just world in general is the only reason for like considering whether or mm -hmm. not someone has the right to live mm -hmm. yeah that's wild. so i mean ignorant to so many things i mean yeah your child could be raised vegan and they could also be buying chocolate from you know slave labor of children mm -hmm. around the world they could be buying palm oil and destroying everything right like i don't know your child being vegan and I mean, I think we might get into this as well with the idea of like consumerist veganism, but 
your child being vegan isn't really even having that. <laughs> that oh yeah, like your like they're not saving a ton of animals. Like no, your child being vegan. So no, yeah, I even take issue with the whole idea of being vegan saves animals. We'll get and I mean, being a consumerist vegan saves a quantifiably mm-hmm. insurable number of animals. I mean, that's definitely not why I'm vegan, and I am not even sure I'll ever know if I have saved a single animal over my (laughs) hopefully long, long life as a vegan. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and in that same vein, you could be not vegan and living, for example, in Bangladesh, Mm -hmm. you know, and have a tiny, tiny fraction of the environmental footprint of a vegan living in a, you know, quote unquote, first world nation. So Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely yeah it's like it's pretty sick when you see vegans kind of taking it to that extreme where it's like just looking at population in general and not looking at environmental impact whatsoever and thinking that people in the third world who are quote-unquote overpopulated mm-hmm. are the ones that need to be controlled they are the ones who need to be antinatalist they're the ones you know contributing to the problems that they're facing in climate change etc yeah and I think that a lot of well I'm a pretty young vegan in the grand scheme of things I've been vegan for like a little under five years uh so I I feel like I was I I came into the age of veganism through a lot of durian writer and Freely's YouTube teachings (laughs) I like knew the movement didn't we all quite well uh, and I, I wonder if this is a little bit less present now. I certainly, like, I think it is, but that's just maybe because I really, really distanced myself from that community. But then again, I feel like so has everyone. But mm-hmm. the idea of antinatalism was also really, really uh, strongly used to advocate in favor of vasectomies. I feel like yeah. every yeah. vegan guy... <laughs> Who, like, became vegan around the same time as me, got a vasectomy. Sometimes I have thoughts for those people, and I'm like, what do they – are they still happy with their vasectomy? I know. Um, Actually, it's so funny. Like, like doing some research for this video, I actually did, like, kind of a deep dive of those videos mm-hmm. from, like, Vegan Gains and uh, Enduring Rider. And it was so painful to watch them and freely. And then, then they're all talking about how, like, yeah, it's – you should not – you should not be having sex unless you have a vasectomy and you know why would you want to be a parent and everything you were just saying about if even if you do parent a child and they're and they're vegan they might not be vegan forever and so therefore they'll be hurting animals and that's you know that goes against the vegan ethos of wanting to do no harm totally and well i feel like now we're we're maybe diving down another a rabbit hole that is too specific for some of the listeners it, it would be interesting to know how many of our listeners, like, actually know Durian Ryder and Freely and were also, mm-hmm. like, part of that whole YouTube thing for a minute. Um, but a lot of vegans, along with being antinatalist, along with advocating for vasectomies, also advocate exclusively for adopting children. I made a video a while ago on my channel, A Privileged Vegan, about like the business of adoption in general. And so I'm not really going to get into all the research now, but we'll link it in the show notes. Um, But vegans, I heard this stat 
regurgitated so many times that there's 150 million orphans in the world and why would we ever have our own (laughs) kids because not only might they not be vegan but also bringing in another child to the world is is not vegan and there's a whole bunch of like that stat is a lie there's actually closer to 13 million actual orphans in the world and a lot 13 13 instead of 150 million that seems so low. Yeah. Yeah, oh. because a lot of kids in orphanages are not orphans at all. They, uh. the, because the business of adoption of like people in first world countries wanting to adopt children in third world countries, God, I hate that distinction, but I, mm-hmm. or an underdeveloped, whatever. I mm-hmm. don't know how to call it. Global um, North, Global South. Global North, Global South. But I also feel like there must be something like a certain something that's problematic about that dichotomy too i mean they're all problematic (laughs) they're all problematic yeah (laughs) um so yeah someone from the global north adopting a child from the global south on average is going to spend forty six thousand dollars doing so because of adoption fees and um it, it is basically it it funds an entire economy that a lot of people in the global south are dependent on and so either children are literally ripped away from their families to be in orphanages or families give up quote unquote give up their child in order you know because they think they'll have a better life um or they'll like get some kind of pay in exchange so the, I mean, the entire business of adoption is really fucked up, um, and obviously not every adoption is exactly the same. I'm painting things in very broad strokes right now. Families getting ripped apart is fueled by colonialism and war and illness and all of these much deeper problems that adoption really doesn't address and shouldn't be. It, it's ridiculous to pose it at, as the solution. Um, Mm -hmm. to all of these problems and same with antinatalism you know it's (laughs) it's really not addressing the root issue to say oh well our world is such shit that we just shouldn't have children instead of I I just feel like it distracts us from really looking at okay well why is it such shit like how can we change Mm -hmm. the system Mm -hmm. it's just yeah and I mean like that's not to say that like adoption is is not a good idea or whatever because adopting a child is not necessarily a bad thing but like seeing that as any kind of activism or seeing that as yeah we're doing this because this is the moral thing to do and if you are having your own child then therefore you are immoral I think that that's such a ridiculous thing to say, considering, like, as you just said, like, the political economy of what's going on, you know, war. Yeah. And and for me, like, the, the just what I was saying about adoption is just that the business of adoption is yeah. incredibly fucked up and yeah. way more so than I ever imagined before I researched for this video and also talked to an ad- adoptee and joined a few groups on Facebook that like really helped me see that it's a much, much, much bigger and more complex issue than I ever thought mm-hmm. it was. Like, I, just, I don't even know the right way to adopt someone anymore. But yeah, it's just ironic that you see all these vegans saying like, just adopt, just adopt, just adopt. No, it's so true. And it's true. I mean, I didn't know that much about it until I saw your video on it. So just like shout the video, people should go watch it. Because yeah, growing up, I, I mean, I, I didn't want kids. And I was in the same kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking that a child raised in the global north is going to have so much more of an impact 
on the global health than someone born somewhere else. So why would I bring a new child into the world when there are already children who need a home, you know? So, well, quote unquote, need a home. (laughs) Perhaps they already have a home, but they're being sold or whatever. Um, So yeah, I mean, I totally understand that mindset. Well, from an ecological perspective, I don't even see how that would make sense because a child, a poor child from the global South um, raised in one of our industrialized nations is still going to have the same footprint. Yeah. Yeah. No, I wasn't necessarily saying I would adopt someone from the global South. Um, Mm. I, I just imagined like adopting someone here or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like because they're already here, like they would already have that footprint here anyway. So Mm -hmm. I might as well raise them instead of bringing another child into the global North. Yeah. But you're right. If someone was thinking, oh, I'll just adopt someone from the, the global South, then that makes no sense at all. Because then, yeah, you are increasing their footprint hugely by bringing them over here. (laughs) Right. I I think it's because I think it's the simplistic mindset that just that even the idea that overpopulation is what's environmentally fucking us over, like Mm -hmm. that it's just about reducing the number of humans on this earth. So I guess if you're under that impression really I wanted to be less polite and say delusion I I see how people think oh well I'm just gonna adopt a a child from like the global south and Mm -hmm. raise them because they would think oh it's only it's going to benefit ecology just by not bringing another child into the world but that's really not the problem because the footprint of a a person can vary from like uh, one to a hundred you know based on like where they're living in the world so it's just really not about the number even more than that it was like 165 between the usa and somewhere like rwanda or chad (laughs) yeah wow so yeah because you made that i i was actually pulling maxi has an amazing overpopulation video on her channel and yeah you quoted the stat more exactly yeah so it's like you could raise 165 children more than that in Somalia with the same ecological footprint as one child raised in North America, for example. And so, yeah, the idea that, oh, I'm going to help, I'm going to help the global ecology by not having my own child, but bringing a child from the developing world here. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. You're just increasing their ecological footprint 165 times. Yeah. <laughs> Oof, that is a bleak way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. But I yeah. mean, just it, if that's your argument for why you're doing it, then it's like, well, look at it. Like, take that to its conclusion. Like, what? You know what I mean? Yeah. And you will see that the problem is capitalism and the distribution and production of our goods. Yeah. And not how many people we are. And that's not to dismiss, like, I do think that there's something pretty messed up about how much we, like, tell humans, and especially women, that they should, you know, keep the species going or have their own kids. Like, I do think that there is something Mm -hmm. pretty messed up about 
the importance, the perceived importance of having your own child and, yes. you know, perpetuating your biological legacy. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I definitely feel like I, I was socialized with that and I'm really trying to unlearn it because um, I think that it's very kind of egotistical and uh, just, I don't know, I don't, I don't like that either. No, no, it's ridiculous. And um, as I said, for most of my life, I didn't actually want to have my own child I wanted to adopt. Um, But with my ex-partner, I I feel like it's also that men are very socialized into thinking that, that it's like they need to pass on their seed Mm -hmm. and like it's important. Yeah, a lot of men that I've been with, it's been very important for them to have their own real child, like Mm -hmm. to have their child. And I'm like, that's kind of strange because I was thinking like, well, what about adoption? And then a lot of men are really not into that. So I don't think it's even Mm -hmm. just the women who are socialized. It's like men have this strong like, I must pass on my genes and like, like, what the hell for? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, the whole like nature nurture arg- argument, I don't know, I, I feel like nurture really plays a huge role. It really, really does. And so I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's also part of like the arrogance of hum- humankind in mm. general to think that we need to pass our genes on and to procreate and to pass our species on like for whatever the hell reason, like I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and regarding what you were saying with men and needing to pass on their seed I also feel like that's really perpetuated with mm-hmm. last names like how yes women need to have their last name and how their kids are gonna have their last name and I used to joke when I was little like about I didn't even question that normally I should give up my last name you know I was like really upset about the fact like I wasn't going to be able to I used to tell my brother like you need to have kids because I'm not gonna be able to pass on the family name like, yeah what? no same um, here I was upset about that too I was like no but like my name should be passed down yeah and I I do feel a strong attachment to my last name yeah uh, I mean it's my goddamn name like every woman feels attached to her name and like no? we're the ones birthing the kids and then they don't even have our last name like come fuck on that yeah come on yeah and so just this whole idea of like descendants and <laughs> lineage is so patriarchal anyway Mm -hmm. (sighs) yeah yeah I know it's just it's just one of those things where it's like there is no good reason for that other Mm -hmm. than just ego absolutely so and maybe now is a good time to segue into the fact that I feel like this entire patriarchal idea of needing to procreate and pass on pass on your seed mm-hmm. is ultimately only in favor of capitalism and mm. in favor of just creating like a larger labor pool and also more consumers who will buy those goods. Maxi, do you want to talk <laughs> about that a little bit? Um, sure. So a point that I made in my overpopulation video is that capitalism as an ever growing system needs an ever growing pool of labor in order to keep itself going, in order to keep accumulation going. Um, when I, people have commented to me and said, no, no, you know, capitalism can keep going even if there is a reduction of population because we can just automate jobs. And when I say keep capitalism going, I, I mean that 
capitalism, in order to reproduce itself um, successfully, it has to grow by, I think, 3.6% every year. And so that means accumulation has to grow by that much every year. And the way that we accumulate profits is through... (laughs) quote unquote, exploitation of resources and laborers. And so if you don't have an ever growing pool of labor to exploit, then labor's power with respect to capital grows, and therefore they can demand better wages and etc. And so that decreases profitability and decreases the potential for accumulation. So I've made a video about this. It's called the Reserve Army of Labor. And it just explains how capitalism only grows by making more and more people superfluous to the the capitalist system and by growing that pool of low-wage, precarious workers that are available to do that really low-wage work in order to benefit the capitalists, in order to keep accumulation going at that rate every year. And so, yes, if the population drops then yeah, I mean, you can replace jobs with robots, but that is going to hinder capitalist growth and reproduction in another way that, you know, if if you replace everyone with robots, then you don't have any actual consumers, like the demand for the uh, consumer goods drops, and then that hinders uh, profits and accumulation. And so that would destabilize capitalism in another way. So yeah, you either need an ever-growing population, an ever-growing pool of labor, or you're going to automate everything and then capitalism is just going to implode. So that's not going to work either. So just trying to, just addressing people who love me, those kinds of comments. Um, but yeah, it's just this system and also this system that, you know, produces all these things, produces all this food um, in gross excess and then wastes it all while people are starving. I mean, this is the problem. This is why we're cutting down all the rainforests when that doesn't make sense, you know, for the future of the planet. This is why we're drilling for oil in the sensitive Arctic, even when that makes no sense for the survival of the planet and our species. Like this is why we're doing all of these things that make no actual sense for people or the planet. We're doing all of this because we're living in this profit-oriented system where a class of owners exploits a class of workers in order to make money for money's sake, for no other fucking purpose. That's why. So this whole thing about overpopulation, I mean, actually, population is set to decrease. If you look at the projections, they're actually projecting that population is going to level off and then start to decrease. It's already decreasing in a lot of the more advanced nations. Well, yeah. And the more advanced nations freak out whenever their populations start to stagnate and decrease for exactly all the reasons that Maxi just brought up. And a lot of these countries actually have pro-natalist policies where they give tax incentives, financial incentives, labor incentives to women who will like in order to get them to have babies because we because it's really really bad for an economy premised on eternal growth to have a population that's not exponentially growing at the same rate. Mhm. Yeah, and then like the whole everyone's losing their mind about letting refugees in. And so not surprised that they're having these policies to 
yeah, let's have the European women make more babies and <laughs> and deny all of the refugees seeking uh, refuge and a better life, etc. So well, yeah, that would entail just a, a, a redistribution of wealth, whereas they'd rather just the wealthy families have more babies. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in order to keep the capitalist yeah. class afloat. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah, I I mean we've we've made a series of videos about this, so I feel like we can like shout all of our videos, but I mean it's just very clear that we're not going to solve any of the problems that we're talking about. I mean like for people who think of antinatalism maybe not necessarily as like an end in itself, but as something that perhaps you just don't feel like you want to bring in a child into this world because you're like me and you're really worried about what's going to happen around 2050 with like all of our global ecological systems. And you're like, Hey, I don't really know if I want to have a child have to like suffer through that. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be like, okay, yeah, this is my, my personal choice, my personal thought or whatever. But then when it becomes this idea of like, the only way to stop this is to not have children and shaming other people who have children right shaming other people who have children being like you are the one causing the problem it's like no people having babies is not the problem like people people having babies is not the problem like we are not overpopulated in terms of you know our resources and and what's available we like the problem and the reason that we're creating so much pollution and everything is the way that we're going about living. <laughs> and that has to do with, yeah, colonialism, capitalism, imperialism, et cetera. Like people just having children is not the problem. Like the way that we're living is the problem. And so if you don't want to have a child because you're like, whatever reason, it's like, yeah, cool. But don't think that you're solving the problem by not mm-hmm. having a child and that other people are contributing to the problem mm-hmm. by having that mm-hmm. child. If you don't have a child, but you are like a Wall Street banker, like super perpetuating this like free market bullshit around the world or like an economic hitman working for the World Bank or something like that, then you're doing far more damage than somebody who just has a child and is, you know, absolutely fight, railing against these systems. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I completely agree. Something else that I've been thinking about in terms of specifically veganism and the vision that mainstream veganism has currently of how it's going to make a difference for animals is that it's also inherently antinatalist. That was a bit of a mouthful. I'm going to explain what I what I mean. Um, but when you're building your vegan praxis around the idea that you're promoting animal liberation by buying less animal products. Like, you know that you're not making a difference for the, I mean, I feel like no one really talks about this, but you're definitely not helping the conditions of the animals that are like currently alive or currently in the system. Uh, let alone the, the ones whose corpses are in your supermarket. Right. So it's, you're making like a rational argument towards lowering the demand. It's, you know, to help future animals not be bred, right? That is how we're going to Mm -hmm. decrease. If we decrease the demand for meat, then we are going to also decrease the number of animals that are brought into this life and slaughtered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that whole argument rests on the fact that it's really not worth being an animal being born in the conditions that we raise them 
which is a point that I certainly would not argue with. Um, I don't, I, yeah, I um, don't think if I were an animal, I would ever want to be born into the animal agriculture industry. Mm -mm. Um, But I just feel like that's not really an ambitious, I feel like if we limit our veganism to just not consuming animal products, that's not a very ambitious goal or like not a very inspiring vision because it's just saying okay let's consume less animals so that we decrease the demand so that not as many animals are born into this horrible system when really you know what we want is total animal liberation we want to like we want to smash the system we want to smash the system down altogether so when i don't you know I choose not to consume animal products and I think at the beginning of my veganism when I like wasn't very knowledgeable about the way that capitalism worked I really did think that lowering the demand for animal products would you know free them so when I first went vegan I very much fell into that camp of lowering of like wanting to do it as a consumer boycott as a consumer activity to obtain animal liberation through the complete obliteration of the need to slaughter them in the first place. Whereas now that I understand more how capitalism works, I choose to not eat animals just because it's a part of my anti-consumerist, anti-capitalist praxis. And so I just don't want, I just don't think the life of an animal should be, that life shouldn't be commoditized at all. And so veganism makes sense for that reason. It's like an ethical position. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not really doing it to lower the demand of meat. That being said, I understand wanting to lower the demand of meat on an ecological perspective, certainly, because obviously Mm -hmm. it's wildly unsustainable. But I'm just saying Mm -hmm. in terms of animal liberation, the argument of lowering the demand for animal products doesn't really like it doesn't quite do it for me anymore. Like that's not why I'm not consuming Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. products. Because yeah, the way that consumerism and production works, I don't actually think it's having an impact on the animals. And even if it is, that just means that the animals what so is our end goal just to have less of them being bred. I was thinking about this article that was really, um, that was being shared a lot across social media a couple of years ago that 400 million less animals had been killed this year than, than were last year. And I'm sure that a lot of vegans listening to this remember that article because that stat was really widely shared. And the thought that I had was like, well, if, I mean, I didn't have this at the time. I actually, I'm sure I shared the article at the time and thought that it was great. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh man. Uh, but thinking about it now, I question, okay, so if all the animals in the agriculture industry, we know that they are bred into existence and then they have this completely calibrated like number of, days that they're going to live and be fattened up until they get slaughtered no one is going to sadly know of their existence and yeah like it's almost like they were never here right because they were never really Mm -hmm. yeah it's I mean Mm -hmm. it's like hard to even make sense of what that existence symbolically means because there's billions and billions of animals in this horrible industry and no one will ever know of their suffering. And so even, so if a hundred percent of these animals are suffering and are 
even if 400 million less of them are being bred into existence, still 100% of the animals in there are like, you know, going to be bred and then slaughtered. So I don't, I don't understand why it makes a difference. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like really meta to think about why we're even rejoicing about the stat of like 400 million less. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's 100%. It's all, even if there's like two animals in there, I yeah on an like on an animal <laughs> suffering like animal liberation front i just don't think it's a very good yeah argument that's such a amazing point and i never thought of it that way either i mean i i, I was the same in that i started you know when that kind of uh, article came out or when there used to be these memes that people would post being like this year i saved this many animals and this many trees and this many whatever and i'd be like yeah fuck yeah that's what i did <laughs> what and did you do that this year too. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> But it's so true that it's like, yeah, fine. Okay, less of them are being bred and less of them are suffering. But like still, there's still billions of them suffering. Like like 100% of them are still suffering. Like we're not actually dismantling these systems. We're just like slightly reducing them. Right. And and so, okay, we uselessly bring them into existence and we uselessly kill them. But we're still 100% of the ones we're breeding we're uselessly killing. And we're, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I understand. I was watching um, Anastasia. 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 Um, the other day. and she She's was, a YouTuber. Yeah. And she's just brilliant. Um, and yeah, she was talking about veganism and individualism and stuff and saying that, like, you know, this idea that a boycott is totally meaningless is also a bit like, you know, it's not totally meaningless. Oh, and totally. like, if, if everyone were to actually do this, then it would actually like, have some impacts on this industry. And then we could start talking about, you know, pushing for more or whatever. So I'm not saying that like, it's totally fruitless. Yeah. Um, or that like, necessarily this is an individual action because if all of us are doing it it's not individual anymore it's collective and then we have some power you know Mm -hmm. what I mean but yeah you're so right that it's like that that can only be one small part of it like that can only be one part of our activism and everything like because it's not going to change the systems they're going to keep growing they're going to find new markets they're going to find other things to do with these animals Mm -hmm for profit they're not just going to be like okay like let's give up now and um yeah whatever. and then ultimately if you're only advocating for veganism in the consumerist sense and trying to drive down demand your argument is inherently anti-natalist and basically saying that these animals these animals it's not even i feel like it just distracts us from looking at the cruelty of the system and the fact that we should change it all together by just saying like oh well they shouldn't be born or like we're gonna drive down demand for them being born like yes that's that's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's something that we need to do but also that that's really not the main yeah, yeah that's not like the most important thing in terms of animal liberation and i i don't even think it's really the mm-hmm. same just yeah. like really the same argument. And, and it's like and if all these vegans like if if you really were concerned with having a population that would drive down demand for these animal products then it's like I don't know. How do you think that that's actually going to be reducing demand? Because demand demand is growing every year for meat, like regardless of kind of like what we're doing, right? So it's like you're not going to have a child and you think that that's actually going to reduce demand? Like how? Mm-hmm. How? Yeah. 
Right. And it's equating, I guess, it's monitoring the progress of animal liberation by how much demand there is for their meat. When that's just like not mm-hmm. true, because still 100% of the meat there is, those animals were bred in like incredibly cruel conditions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a hard thing to even wrap your mind around because it's like, I mean, because that is the the vegan perspective. Like I was looking at veganism and antinatalism and the movements and like, there's so much overlap and so many antinatalists are vegan and so many vegans are antinatalists because vegans are saying like, well, if you're part of the antinatalist movement and you're not vegan, then you're a hypocrite because you're supporting an industry that keeps breeding and breeding and breeding all of these animals and if you're antinatalist in terms of the human species you should be antinatalist in terms of the animal species i did not know that was an argument yeah and then so the opposite is also true like antinatalists are like well if you're vegan then you should be antinatalist because if you if your goal is to not do any harm and to do the least harm possible in terms of like harming animals harming the planet and whatever then you should also be antinatalist because if you're bringing more people into the world then they might not be vegan they might be doing harm they're going to be causing environmental impact and so like so those movements are like very tied together and like that's their whole thinking Mm -hmm. and it's like if you kind of listen to it out of context you're kind of like okay i can see the links i can see why people are like yes this makes sense um but it's it's just ignoring it's ignoring the systems that we operate under completely right and and i feel like it's just it's not actually honest or truth like no one's gonna then, then I don't want to be one of those anal, anti-natalist analysts. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like I slip, almost, I like almost say that word every time I say anti-natalist because it's such a mouthful. You should just call them analysts. Um, mm-hmm. Like I just feel like it's like kind of it's just like not really honest. Like what what so they're not actually wishing any of the people around them die or or they kill themselves or they like yeah Mm -hmm. I just um I don't know I just don't feel like it's a for for the vast majority of people like really and especially when they're like privileged white westerners um right well it's like just reducing our population is not going to save animals point blank like even if even if a ton of us reduce our populations it's not going to save animals maybe less of them will be bred maybe less of them will be Mm -hmm. killed but they will still be bred and killed for the population that is still there so you're not disrupting any of the systems by just reducing the population like you have to attack the systems that are causing these problems and capitalism is a big one of them however as i said on the rev left radio podcast and i've said elsewhere that doesn't mean that like socialism is the solution to animal suffering either. Like it has to be a concerted effort. Like if we have an alternative political economy, then we are obviously in a much better position to um, liberate animals because the profit motive seriously just makes that an impossibility. Same with like addressing the climate crisis, the profit motive makes that a serious impossibility. Um, So if we're operating a system that isn't run by the profit motive and isn't run by endless growth and endless accumulation, then we can liberate animals. But it doesn't mean that like, if we overthrew capitalism, then animals would just be Mm -hmm. liberated. Like we have to actually do much more than that. And we have to actually have like an ethical movement and like talk about this and like, you know, plan and stuff like that. So just want to make that point. Yeah, I, 
completely agree. And I think that that's helping me understand where I'm kind of making the distinction. I, I like the point that you made also on that podcast of like, well, leftists should still go vegan because since it's so ecologically important, if leftists really want to have this revolution, they need to have an earth to have it on, right? And so even if it's mm-hmm. not, we shouldn't just wait for the for capitalism to be abolished to like actually go vegan because then what? We're just, mm-hmm. we're going to have nothing left of this earth, you know? And yeah. so I think that is the main, that would be my main argument for why people should go vegan as like a boycotting consumerist activity to decrease the demand for meat because I think ecologically that's Mm. super important in terms of just the ethical position of animal liberation I think that just decreasing the demand for how bred they are is really doesn't go far enough it's not ambitious Mm. enough um, and it's certainly not like the vegan world that I'm envisioning because I think that people should not eat animals and should not consume animal because they need to deconstruct like the whole species notion that animals are consumable goods. And as you said, like that's not that epiphany is not just going to come to them if one day the demand for meat completely decreases, you know, like that really yeah. is, um, I mean, just like racism and sexism and all these other systems of oppression, there's like a huge ideological shift that needs to happen. So I think vegan veganism as a consumerist activity is very pertinent in terms of reducing demands and also just for yourself to live according to your values as much as possible and to not to to realize that just like you wouldn't eat a human because they're not like a consumable good you Mm -hmm. you know you Mm -hmm. don't want to eat an animal either for that same reason Mm -hmm. yeah no that's that's really really well said and also it's interesting when you think about how it's been argued by the animal agriculture industry, but also by people who eat meat that if they weren't there to breed them, they wouldn't ever even (laughs) like live almost as an excuse to kill them and eat meat. Because if it wasn't for them, those animals would have just never existed. So it's almost like this zero sum game where like, well, it doesn't matter if they're here, it doesn't matter if they're not, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is the same thing that makes like the whole stat, the 400 million less animals being killed completely, uh, sort of irrelevant you're like well it's not you know they could be here they could not be here they could like we only bring them into the world to like brutally exploit and murder them so yeah (laughs) i feel like people on both sides are the argument of are saying well either like that is not so that's a reason to not eat meat or that is a reason to eat meat i guess depending on whether or not you see it as like a net good to even be alive and breathe at all um yeah but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And like Temple Grandin, um, she's like, she's really famous, right? I feel like she's famous in the vegan community, yeah. but I, other people might not know. So yeah, she developed. Yeah. So she developed um, like this whole new system, basically, for how to slaughter animals um but kind of drive down the fear and the pain they felt when they were walking to slaughter and when they were slaughtered. So I think it's it's something about like making the conveyor belt that they walk on operate in this like circular pattern that makes them more dizzy or soothes them more. And so she was actually given the, she was awarded the PETA Proggy Award a few years ago in 2004. <laughs> 14, I believe. Um, Pragi stands for progress, and it's an award that seeks. <laughs> I know. I was like, that's 
Froggy? I feel like that's an improbable name. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah. I don't know who helps them work on the branding of this award. <laughs> Um, but anyway, this Proggy Award recognizes people and companies that are trying to create a more human, humane world, according to PETA. And so it, it caused a lot of controversy among vegans, the fact that Temple Grandin was getting this award. She's not even vegan, by the way, unless she's gone vegan since 2014. I didn't really follow up on that. But like, she's not... She's, she doesn't advocate for total animal mm-hmm. liberation. Um, she's just basically saying, well, since they're here, I actually have an exact quote from her. She said, I was up on a catwalk over a whole sea of cattle. This was in the summer of 1990 and getting kind of upset about it. <laughs> no shit. And then I thought, you know, none of those cattle would have been born if we had not bred them. They would never have existed at all. But we've got to give them a decent life. So either we're excused for animal suffering because we bred them and gave them the gift of life in the first place, or that, you know, on the contrary, we have a moral obligation to stop eating them because we want to drive down, like, the need to breed them at all. I just feel like it creates this false dichotomy between it's just like this weird philosophical debate then about like whether or not it's worth living whether or not you should be anti-natalist it's just like these thought experiments that in the end I just think are really irrelevant to the fact that we shouldn't really be trying to value different lives or define like what is the morally relevant what are morally relevant capacities for like being here at all and what life is worth living and what life is not worth living, but instead just dismantle the systems and like try to understand why the fuck it is Mm -hmm. that these conditions are so horrible and really target that instead of just having a debate about whether or not it's worth living through them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, like her, her little, you know, tweaks that she made to that system it's like well what is that really doing like okay great they're gonna get dizzy and not maybe slightly less scared before they go to slaughter they're still being slaughtered like you know they're still living in horrible conditions and everything right so it's just like so it's one of the again one of those things where it's like well that's not ambitious at all you know what i mean so it's like we're just trying to reduce the awfulness of these systems instead of being like hey why are they so awful like why are people so alienated and so depressed and getting like increasing you know anxiety and and everything like that like why are people unable to live in this system anymore um yeah because it's a horrible system you know it's just like instead of being like is it worth it to live it's like well is it worth it to live under what conditions Mm -hmm. under what conditions and like can we change the conditions or are we just gonna give up Mm -hmm like you know yeah it's just so utilitarian like thinking that we can have a quantifiable measure of how much suffering there is in life and how we can maximize non-suffering and just all these calculations and thought experiments for how we're going to do so mm-hmm. but also it's like but what is the cause of suffering and because like in that benatar article is it, it was like filling out forms and waiting in line like that these are not looking at the causes like the systemic causes Mm -hmm. of suffering right so it's just like 
yeah, forget about trying to quantify suffering. Just look at like what what is causing people to mm-hmm. suffer. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. It's this like hyper rational again, <laughs> androcentric way to think about life. And I agree with what you were saying in the beginning of like I understand making those calculations for yourself in the current system that you're living in in trying to decide whether or not you want to bring a kid into the world. Mm-hmm. But there's a very, there's a big difference between personally reflecting on that and advocating for it as like a policy uh, change, um, especially because that leads mm-hmm. to all fucked up things like forced sterilization of certain people and forced sterilization of pets. Can we talk about that for a second? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like spaying and neutering, I get that it's necessary, um, you know, with my little knowledge on it, but I understand like why it's necessary in the pet industry currently. Um, and a lot of arguments, um, a lot of arguments in favor of spaying and neutering is that our population of cats and dogs, um, and domestic animals in general is way, way too large for, for our society. And so rates of euthanasia for pets is really, really high. And so spaying and neutering your pet and keeping them from reproducing will decrease suffering because it'll decrease euthanasia rates and pets that have to live on the streets in horrible conditions and so on and so forth. And like, again, I understand that argument, but I also think that that Spaying and neutering should also be a practice that is examined under debates of bodily autonomy um, and personhood and just like consent, you know, for the animals. And here I just want to shout out a really great episode by the Vegan Warrior Princesses Attack called called Bodily Autonomy, I think, where they discussed this more in length. Mm-hmm. Um, but but all this to say that talking about spaying and neutering just in terms of like overpopulation um and antinatalism really fails to critically examine why we have this overpopulation of pets in the first place and why we started domesticating mm-hmm. these animals um and selling them for profit mm-hmm. yeah and then like the whole like pet stores and breeders and once again back to capitalism and like yeah why they're being bred and how mm-hmm. yeah i don't know there's just very uncomfortable parallels between like spaying and neutering for me and like forced sterilization of humans too. Um, Not saying that I'm like against spaying and neutering in the current, whatever, in the current system that we live in, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's like hard to think about like where I would fall on that really. Cause it's like, I mean, yeah, I guess like within this system, I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's hard. Yeah, um, Laura Schleifer, the woman I interviewed uh, a few few episodes back on on Israel and vegan washing, posted a video to her Facebook page not long ago, and it was a family of cats, and it was so cute. We need to link this in our show notes, but it was like, you know, not that animals have like concepts of gender like this, but it looked like a mom and a dad and like the little kids. Um, And her caption was saying like, you know, we never, we never see this. We never see families of domesticated animals um, with their babies because we, we force them to not like not ever know each other. Um, And we forcibly also spay and neuter them. And we don't like, we don't even, I don't even have an idea of how really a family of cat lives. Like I guess a mom with her, Mm -hmm 
children and who knows if it's a mom and who knows anyway I deconstructed all of that in my videos on the gender binary um yeah that's a good point yeah because then like even the families that they do have like the breeders they obviously have families but then the babies are taken away yeah and sold so it's kind of sad yeah and all like yeah brothers and sisters are, are siblings I should stop gendering mm -hmm. them for no reasons um siblings are also you know separated from each other and I think it is I think it I think not questioning the practice of forcibly sterilizing animals um would be is like super speciesist even though that's not to mm -hmm. say that you know god fucking knows what we should do instead in this current I think as a vegan I still yeah god I don't know the utilitarian side of me would say like well it is important to like spay and neuter them and like limit the overpopulation of pets mm -hmm. but in terms of like animal liberation and like seeing them as autonomous beings with personhood am I pro spaying and neutering them like I you know no mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so I know I know that's like I feel like pets is like a tough one for vegans because like yeah I'm a vegan but like I have pets and I love my pets and they're obviously spayed and neutered you mm -hmm. know and it's just like but yeah no it's true it's like on on it's the utilitarian within this system but then it's it's hard because we're we're so inculcated into this system so it's hard to imagine another system where they would just be free to just do whatever they want and like still have relationships with us totally and and, and since we are responsible for like domesticating them and bringing them into our lives like you know our pets i i don't i hate that term like they're not our pets they're like our companions and family members you know i Mm -hmm. I, I had, I, my fam, I had a family member who was a cat way back when, but unfortunately they are no longer among us. Um, but like, yeah, in terms of your, your dogs, like it's certainly, I think would be wrong to just say, well, no, you're just, it's bad to have pets and it's inherently exploitative. Cause like they're, they're here and they're part of, they're just family members, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but they were taken away from their mom and like they will not be able to have families of their own. So yeah, there is all mm -hmm. these things where it's like, yeah, it's just it's hard when you're like in the system to even imagine another system where like, like imagine what liberation would look like because and I feel like this is the same with capitalism, like you're just so inculcated with the system that it's like hard to imagine like, okay, what is liberation, mm -hmm. you know, um, but those are like really important things to think about when we do think about animal liberation, um, especially in a post capitalist world. Yeah. And, like, step one would be to not buy pets from breeders. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. Yeah, obviously. But anyway, there's a lot of, like, literature on that. So <laughs> we will let <laughs> yeah. that speak for itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of post-capitalism, maybe this is a good segue. It's a great segue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of post-capitalism, yeah, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, the relationship between antinatalism and anti-capitalism. So I've seen like two sides of the story here. I've seen anti-capitalists. I've actually seen a lot of anti-capitalists who are antinatalists or who at least express that they really don't want kids, especially in this system. Um, mm -hmm. I have seen the other as well, the other side that says that you know, this is a defeatist point of view. Like I was saying earlier, if we're going to talk about the value of life, we should talk about the material conditions. We should talk about under what conditions and we should be fighting to change those conditions, not necessarily saying that 
um, you know, as a political act, I'm going to just not have a child. And, you know, but again, I think that's part of the whole, like, is it, is it part of your arsenal or is it an end in itself? Right. Cause it's like, well, maybe that could be part of your arsenal, but not an end to itself. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so the anti-capitalist arguments for antinatalism are number one, that if you're a proletarian family, <clears throat> then you are likely going to have proletarian children and therefore they will just be wage laborers and they will suffer <laughs> under the system of wage labor. Um, and so, yeah, why would you bring in a new child who's just going to suffer as a worker and be alienated? And uh, yeah, the second argument is that it's almost kind of like a political act to kind of screw over the capitalists by not having children. So you're not giving them a workforce, like trying to, I guess, reduce that reserve army of labor and also reduce the number of consumers that would be part of the system. Although, yeah, I'm not sure, you know, how effective that would be at really like bringing capitalism to its knees. Like it's true that the system uh, runs into trouble when the populations decrease. That's why we're seeing all these, um, you know, pronatalist government policies coming in. I think to some extent, reducing the workforce with respect to the capitalists would give that workforce slightly more power. Like if there was if there wasn't this huge reserve reserve army of labor and there was a smaller number of people available to work, then the power, the collective power of those workers would increase. Like they could demand better wages. Mm-hmm. They could, they could choose between employers instead of having to just like, you know, scramble for whatever employer will give them any wage that will keep them alive. Um, so in that sense, I'm like, okay, that might be something. I just, I again, it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, that's it's kind of like the vegan thing. It's like that might slightly reduce the labor force. It might not. (laughs) Um, And it might not really, it may not really help, especially as automation advances, because then um, if the robots are doing the job, then, you know, the, the smaller workforce is is still going to be part of that reserve pool and they're still going to be exploited. So I don't know about that one. Um, And then there's just the argument that, you know, late stage capitalism is crumbling and it's not going to be able to provide security or, you know, just good conditions of life at all for the next generation, which is something that I like I can resonate with. I'm like, yeah, I can I can see that. Like, (laughs) so that one kind of resonates with how I felt most of my life being like, well, the environment is crashing, the economy is trash. So I I feel like the next generation will have it pretty rough. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Like, they probably will. I mean, yeah, the the I, the thought of just being around in 50 years actually terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. I just I see how quickly we are running into the wall and the wall is so much closer than we even realized it was 2 yeah. years ago that I just bringing another human into the world that will definitely live past like 2100. I yeah. Man, if I ever like decide to have kids, that's gonna be really something that I have to grapple yeah. with. No. 
you know, bring them into the world and be like, I'm so sorry. I know. No, it, it like it pains me to think about because I'm like, yeah, like because part of me now is like, yeah, I kind of would like to have a child um, or adopt or whatever. But I'm like, well, I guess adopting is different. But yeah, just like having another child is like, yeah, I mean, it would be rough to think about all these things. Um Mm-hmm. however i mean i think like i think antinatalism as like i think it, in that case if you're just thinking about your own personal choice i think that that makes total sense yeah, but if you're I looking agree. at it as some kind of a like political movement against capitalism to, to not have children i don't think that's a solution at all um i don't think that's really gonna help um so yeah, I mean, and it, it, again, it's like if that's part of your arsenal, then like okay, cool. Maybe, maybe you're like, I'm doing this because I think this might reduce the workforce and might give future proletariat more power. Okay, um, but I mean, you better be going far above and beyond that, you know. Or or it is just kind of defeatist, and it is just saying like the only way out of capitalism is just to not be born into it at all. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that already, like, capitalism has really stripped our imagination and our, like, yeah, just, you know, we always talk about how difficult it is to envision something Mm -hmm. else. But I think if anything, antinatalism is like, it shuts that door a second time of just like, well, just don't be boring and just advocate for other people, not letting anyone right, be born exactly you know? and and i feel like it does that to us to a certain extent with veganism and animals too if veganism is only about animals just like not being born it's like that doesn't actually dismantle the species system exactly and it just divides us even further because then it turns us against one another because then we're just looking at each other being like oh that person has four children what a you know, yeah. how irresponsible. Uncontrollable loose cannon. Yeah. But like how irresponsible, like that's disgusting. Yeah. Like, like now I have to have no children just to offset the two extra ones that she <laughs> yeah. had plus the replacement rate, you know, it's, um, yeah. all of these calculations are, are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, I mean, so the founder of vegan publishers called Casey Tyler had, I think Tyler is his last name. I always call him Casey. Um, but, uh, he had a uh, a child, I think, like, three, four years ago, and then now he's just had a second baby. I know that he's very passionate about, like, denouncing the horrible, toxic environment around antinatalism and the vegan movement because he has, like, had to put up with so much shit. And also, he regularly posts screenshots of, like, what other people say in vegan groups about literally how we should kill women who want to have children or who have children oh no like vile things um like advocating for violence against like humans who decide to have kids um I really did not yeah I realized it was bad but I didn't realize like how like Mm -hmm. virulent 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 a word in English um yeah virulent uh the antinatalism really was in a lot of vegan circles it's mm-hmm. 
I think in a lot of anti-capitalist spaces as well, or just like just in general, like just general antinatalism. I mean, even like before I was vegan, like when I was younger, I was a teenager when I was in my early 20s and I was on the kind of like environmental train and I was like, oh yeah, we should not be having children. I would, yeah, I, if I saw a person, I, I would have this idea that like if some, if a couple had two kids, I'm like, okay, that's fine because that's replacement rate. Like you're not like creating or destroying, you're like replacing. But if you had more than two, I was just like, what are you thinking? Like, you know, people who had like four, I would just, I would lose it. But then I'm just like, no, like these people are not the problem. (laughs) Like, like these children are not the problem. And like other people are choosing not to have kids. Like it's not, you know what I mean? It's not this zero sum game. It's yeah, the systems are the problem. And like not Mm -hmm. being born at all doesn't solve shit other than Mm -hmm. you aren't here to experience it. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. And if anything, I'd much rather people who don't have our like lifestyle and our carbon emissions have children than like right people in our countries having children. Exactly. Like, honestly, I mean, yeah, very honestly, between you and me, and <laughs> admittedly, everyone who's listening, <laughs> uh, I do like when I just see friends of mine, like or you know, people in my entourage, mm-hmm. unquestioningly having kids I do mm-hmm. I guess more than it's not that I'm judgmental of it it's just that I'm like wow we have a very different we we're living in different worlds with different yeah, occupations yeah. you know yeah, yeah. I've just I, I I kind of wish I was in the mind state of like still being so optimistic and uninformed mm-hmm. to think like oh a kid you know it, it is a great beautiful like thing to have a kid in this world and that kid is gonna have a great life oh yeah um because I'm just like so pessimistic about like where the world is going no I fully agree I definitely look at like people around me sometimes like even my mom sometimes I always like I'm like I'm always just amazed that like she's just so disconnected from politics and everything and I'm like Mm -hmm. what a happy existence like she really just like gets up like does her stuff like watches some shows like has her kids like has her whatever and then like goes to bed you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. there aren't yeah so I I definitely see where you're coming from I do understand where yeah it's like people who are around me like just having babies like and not just totally uncritically like totally Totally, like not a care in the world like this is just a normal thing to do blah 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 gonna go into my job now gonna come home now gonna relax gonna go to bed gonna do it again in the morning Mm -hmm. and that's it Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like yeah we're we're living in different worlds or like yeah (laughs) yeah completely yeah yeah um but having said that it's like yeah I'm, i'm like obviously like they are not the problem and i think that's the difference in a lot of these movements mm-hmm. where it's like people start to think of themselves as being hyper moral because they're doing this yeah. thing and just mm-hmm. not understanding that like they're not helping and like also they're blaming the wrong things for the problems of the world right it's not it's not revolutionary to be antinatalist no like, it's just not it's absolutely not and like humanity is not one undifferentiated mass that is all this like rational economic subject that is destroying mm-hmm. the world like there are so many different cultures so many different people around the world who are not living this way who are not contributing to this kind of bullshit so it's like 
hashtag not all humans, you know what I mean? It's not just like more humans equals more destruction. It's like more humans with this mindset. So what are we doing to change this mindset and change how we're living, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, I mean, I guess... That's all I really have to say about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And definitely check out Maxie's video on overpopulation. And definitely check out um, Maureen's video. I was going to say a privileged vegan, so I'm like, that sounds weird. Maureen's video. Yeah, I was thinking we never talk about, we never pr- like say the name of our channels on this podcast. Yeah. Well, I guess especially privileged vegans, Maxie's just your name. Yeah. But still, yeah. Yeah. Um. We'll link them all below. So check out the videos on a privileged vegan and Mexi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll put my adoption one. I'm just not so sure we'll talk it because I made a video. This was like my oh my god, this was my first video as a privileged vegan. Wow. On free because freely, freely my 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 home girl from back in the day made this very uh, very gross video <laughs> about. Um, uh, about how she thinks that families should have should give a proof of income before they're allowed to have children Oof. because they need to like have money to take care of them. <laughs> yeah, it's like so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything more like classist or racist than saying such a thing. Mm-hmm. But um. So I made a video kind of dismantling the myth of overpopulation, but it mm-hmm. was actually, I mean, the content of the video is still good, but it's just funny because I was filming on like my computer and like very obviously reading from my script mm-hmm. and like talking very mm-hmm. slowly. And Yeah. Oh girl, yeah. all my old videos are terrible <laughs> like yeah. that, but let's include it. If the content's good, let's include it. Yeah, um, for sure. So we have a number of new patrons to shout out, and I hope you all are loving the sound of Maureen's Oh, yeah, voice we should have announced this. Now, because she has a brand new mic. It's super smooth. The same mic as Maxi. Mm-hmm. And that's thanks to all the patron donations. So uh, I want to say thank you to Debbie Lewis, Selena Noriega, Megan, shout out Megan. That's actually my real name. Whoa. <laughs> um, Casey Balmer, who also edited their pledge to be a larger pledge. So thank you, Casey. And Lena Paulus. So wow, yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated. Um, if you want to support the show, please go to veganvanguardpodcast.com. You can support us via Patreon, becoming a monthly donor, or you can make a one-time pledge via PayPal, or you can rate and review us on iTunes or Google Play or whatever. Um, we love seeing the reviews. They make our day. Um, yeah. Yeah. We got a comment recently about um asking us why we weren't on spotify oh yeah um i'm gonna look into that again it's because spotify you have to apply to be on there and i applied when we had first started the podcast but we didn't have any episodes to show of and so yeah like they don't like they're not like itunes or google play or whatever where they don't they don't actually let every podcast on their their platform so i have to apply again and i feel like now that we have more episodes then maybe mm-hmm. we'll have a better chance of getting it so i will try okay so it's not like a free sharing platform like yeah it's not like they they just accept all the podcasts so anyway so we'll try 
right. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Bye.